I love Christmas. I love all of it. I love the presents and the candles, uh, the decorations. I love the food and the cookies. Maybe I like the cookies a little bit too much. I like being together with friends and my family and my church family, even though none of those families are perfect. It's still good. It's even good with the sadness, the sadness we might feel over the memory of a loved one who is no longer with us, that empty chair at the dinner table. There can be a lot of mixed up emotions at Christmas, and yet it's all still good. It's good because at Christmas, at least for a little while, we get to reflect on a great word that seems to be in short supply these days. It's the word hope, hope. The expectation of a positive future, the anticipation that something good is about to happen, the the feeling that there's something to look forward to, that there's something positive coming on the horizon, a possibility, a dream, a goal, a preferred future. You see, it just feels like our world just tries to beat the hope out of us every single day. Do you ever feel that way? That the world is just trying to pummel you, the, the problems of our world, they just come at us like a boxer throwing punches. You know, a jab, a, a, a knockout punch, trying to knock us down or even knock us out, steal our joy and rob us of our hope. There's just this constant barrage of negativity in our world. It gains momentum through all the media hype, but also through our frantic busyness and, and through our basic fears. And so this has been a tough year for a lot of people, and there's a lot in our minds about terrorism and shootings, racial strife and hatred, prejudice, money problems, family problems, all the political infighting, the escalating international conflict. It seems like our world, our, our leaders are paralyzed and our, our, our debates are polarized. There seems to be no way to even have an honest conversation about a controversial issue anymore without being labeled or attacked. You can't even publicly celebrate Christmas anymore without somebody getting offended. People seem very bruised and battered and overly sensitive. And then you add just your own personal stuff to the mix, and there's just a lot going on. So where's the hope come from? Where's the the light in all this darkness? Well, our hope comes from a core belief deep in our hearts that God is bigger than our problems. That God is larger than our circumstances, greater than that. That God has not abandoned us, God has not given up, God has not lost control of the universe, and in fact, quite the contrary. Christmas tells us that despite all the ugliness and heartache and misery in this world, God is still at work. God is up to something good, and He's inviting us to join with Him in what He's doing. This past fall, over a thousand of our folks in our church family made a commitment to read through the entire New Testament. And for many of those folks, this was an eye-opening experience because even though they'd been coming to church for years, they'd never really gone deep with the Bible, never really understood the depth of the biblical message, sort of content to skim the surface of faith and not really dive down deep and see what's there. It's sort of like if you've ever been snorkeling in the Caribbean. You can swim on the surface of the water, and that's fine. But when you put on the goggles and you put your head underwater, it's like a whole new world opens up, a world of brilliantly colored fish by the hundreds, schools of fish that are just aflame with color and beauty, and they're swimming right next to you. They're swimming between your legs, and you never even knew it before because you'd never took that look deep down. 
That's what happens sometimes when people go deep with the Bible. A whole new world can open up as you begin to see that God is at work around you all the time, but you just hadn't seen it. One of the ways the Bible shows us the truth of this has to do with the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament, they tell many different stories, but those stories combine to actually tell only one story. It's the story of God's plan of salvation for the world. The Bible is this collection of many different kinds of writing written by many different authors in three different languages over a period of some 1,500 years. Yet it's unlike any other collection of writings because there is within it this amazing consistency and unity. And so we identify particular themes that are woven throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. Themes that map out what God is doing and what God is going to do, where the world is headed. The most prominent theme, the central story that runs through the entire Bible is God's plan to redeem our world. You know, basically, there are really only three ways to look at what's happening in our world. Some people look and they see, all they can see is random chaos. Events unfold by chance. There's no design, no plan, no meaning behind it all, just random chaos. They see life sort of like, you know, a child's connect-the-dots game. Except when they connect the dots, no picture emerges, just squiggles. And so basically, you can only live in fear because there's no ultimate meaning or hope in the world and no way to know what the future holds. So it's just get what you can while you can. That's one way of looking at life. A second way is sort of the opposite of random chaos. And that's that everything is controlled by fate. Everything, every action, every decision, every event is actually controlled by forces greater than ourselves, a, a will that we cannot resist, controlled by fate where everything is, is predetermined and controlled. Call it karma, call it the will of Allah, or that it's just written in the stars, whatever. There's nothing that you can do about it. Your life has already been decided for you, predetermined by some power greater than you. And what free will you think you have is just an illusion. You're only a puppet because your destiny is already determined. But the Bible says there's a third way. A third way where God has things under control. Where there is a beginning and there's going to be an end. And yet in the in-between, there is real freedom. God got it all started. God promises to bring it to his preferred conclusion. God is at the helm and God is taking history somewhere. God knew from the beginning that this world would be marred by sin, that we would be rebellious, that we would reject his perfect plan. He knew from the beginning that we would need saving. We live in this middle time between God's creation and God's consummation of all things. And, while, and in this time, God allows us real freedom, but he's also sort of established guardrails so that he's keeping things moving in the direction that he desires that will lead to his final conclusion. And you know what the big word is that describes this kind of overarching care that God has for his world? It's the word providence. Providence. A great word because it means God's power and care over this world that is really our only basis for hope. You see, God had a plan from the beginning. And when the world went off track through sin and disobedience, God had a plan to bring us back, to set things right, to heal the damage to his perfect creation, and to bring us into his forever family. 
God had a plan, and the main purpose of the Bible is to outline that plan and that story for us. Jesus Christ then takes center stage in this drama. He's the main character. He's the protagonist. Everything in the Old Testament actually in some way leads to him, to his life, his birth, his teachings, his sacrifice, his coming again. The whole purpose of the Bible is to point us in his direction, to tell his story. And this story is often called the scarlet thread. A thread woven throughout the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. A scarlet thread that tells of this one called the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God, whom we heard Colleen read that beautiful passage from the prophet Isaiah, the Lamb that was rejected but was slain on our behalf. You know that passage from Isaiah 53? It's never read in Jewish synagogues. It's true. When Isaiah is read, that chapter is skipped. And it could be for a number of different reasons, but one that's been suggested is because Isaiah 53 too accurately prophesies the work of the Messiah, too accurately describes the life, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ. This Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's God's plan of salvation, but it doesn't stop there. In the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus is sort of described as the warrior lamb who brings God's judgment and wholeness and makes all things new. The warrior lamb is the number one way Jesus is described in the book of Revelation. So you see, our hope is grounded in two things. First, and the, the first and the second coming of the lamb. The first time as our substitute, a sacrifice for our sins. But the second time as our king who will set all things right by the exercise of his mighty power. God has a plan and history is going somewhere. And we can have hope in the future because we've seen how God has been at work in the past. How he has orchestrated events, how he's gotten involved with people and nations and actually guided history in a particular direction. The video that we saw at the opening of this service kind of walked us through the Bible and how, showed how God was at work in so many different circumstances, guiding people and events to work things out, to move history in a particular direction, a direction that ultimately led to Mary and Joseph and the birth of a baby named Jesus. Before it led to the cross, the scarlet thread had to go through the cradle of Bethlehem. This lamb who would take away the sins of the world had to be born into this world, had to be fully human, had to embrace our total humanity and literally be one of us, yet perfect, so that he could be the substitute and carry our sin. God was not content simply to be a spectator in this drama. The Gospels tell us of all the planning and all the detail God designed so that a young Jewish teen named Mary would become pregnant through divine intervention rather than through human means. God had it all planned out, even so that when the wise men went to Jerusalem and inquired about the birth of this new king, the Jewish scholars knew the exact location, clearly prophesied hundreds of years before by the prophet Micah, Micah 5 verse 2, a little one-stoplight town called Bethlehem. In Jesus, God stepped into his own creation, stepped into his own story, was born fully human and fully divine. No half measures, God was all in. Many of you are probably familiar with uh, Alfred Hitchcock, the famous movie director of movies like Psycho and, and The Birds, other suspense classics. One unique thing about Alfred Hitchcock 
that he did was he would always cast himself as an extra in all of his, uh, all of his movies. He'd, he'd play a cameo role, and audiences had to kind of really pay attention to, to see him for the two seconds that he might be walking on the street or sitting at a restaurant or getting on a bus. He was never a main role, only a fleeting glimpse. But he stepped into his own movies. Friends, that's not how God did it. Though he came quietly, almost unnoticed, Jesus is the main character of this drama of history because he embodies this hope that God is at work even when the world seems to be out of control. That was the kind of world that Jesus was born into. Sin and violence and cruelty, those are nothing new. We know that Jesus' birth was followed by this, this despicable act of human savagery when King Herod, out of fear over this newborn king, all ordered that all uh, male children under two years old in and around Bethlehem should be killed, what we now call the slaughter of the innocents. There's been violence and death forever. That was the world Jesus was born into, and that is the world that God loves and is redeeming. As the gospel writer John said of Jesus' birth, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so we have hope. We have hope because this scarlet thread, this coming of the Lamb of God, the story of God's salvation is a story that's more than just words on a page. It's a, it's a living story. It's a story that you, can, you and I can live. We're part of it. We're part of God's plan. We're part of what he's doing and what he will continue to do. It's not something we just read about. God's story actually intersects with our story. It touches your dreams and your needs, your relationships, your past, your future, your eternal destiny. They're all affected by this story. We're actors in this drama because God's saving action is at work. It's going on right now, and we're all invited to take up our roles in God's ongoing story of redemption. The story of how God intends to renew your life. From beginning to end, God makes it clear that he intends for us to be significant players in this drama. It is God's story, but we're not passive observers. We just don't just watch what happens. At every stage, God is inviting. He's inviting us to be loved by him. He's inviting us to be forgiven by him. He's inviting us to immerse our lives in him to commit to follow him, to participate with him, to live for him, to live his redemption story in our daily life. It is still God's plan to push back against the darkness. And as God's story continues in your life, it will be a story that's filled with hope, but also struggle and brokenness and heartache and death, but victory and strength and forgiveness and purpose as well. We are still in this in-between time. But this Lamb of God, Jesus, he's the one who invites you to join him in what he is still doing in this world. To live like Jesus, relying on his strength, so that you can display the same kind of compassion and love and justice that he did. To take up your cross, to take up your place in his story. Back in the 13th century in Italy, St. Francis found it almost impossible to help his friends and neighbors and, and countrymen experience a deeper kind of Christian life like I've been trying to describe tonight. So St. Francis came up with a radical idea, something that nobody had ever done before. He built the very first nativity scene, but not with the ceramic statues that had been the tradition in the Roman Catholic Church. 
For the very first time, St. Francis had the idea of using live people to play the parts of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, a live baby as Jesus, even real-life farm animals. I mean, we take that for granted today, right? But back then, it was the very first time in human history that anybody had ever done this. And so people were invited to actually walk in the manger, to walk among the wise men, to, to kneel by the shepherds, to kneel at the manger to actually see the baby Jesus. People were so moved that many people came to a, a real faith in Jesus Christ because they got it for the very first time. They grasped this magnificent story for the very first time. They'd heard it a hundred times, but they finally got it. They believed because it was real, they could see it. Friends, recognize that you are written into God's story. Recognize that there is darkness in the world, there is darkness inside of us. And yet see that the light has come. Respond to the Savior, this lamb that was slain for you. Live in the hope that God is bigger than your circumstances, that God is greater than your fears. We will have questions in this in-between time. We won't always know the whens or the hows or the whys, but we do know the who. And because we know the who is Jesus, born to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, born and coming again to be the warrior Lamb who will make all things right because we know the who. That's why we have hope at Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord God, you worked all things to make this happen. So many different people and events, you gave hints for hundreds of years ahead of time of exactly what was going to happen. It was so clear. They knew it was Bethlehem. Isaiah prophesied exactly what your life would be like. You laid it all out, and because you were at work in the past, Lord, we can have confidence that you're at work right now and that you're still in control of where the world is heading. Help us, Lord, get in step with you, to embrace your love for us, your grace, your forgiveness, but also to see your light and to be your light in this dark world. Help us to take up that challenge, Lord, to follow you and to be the light that the world needs in 2016. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.